That's always my hope. We're going to do a little three-part series. I call the illusion, you're in control. Yeah, I am a controller if I'm unchecked by the Spirit of God, and I know many of you are too. You can always tell who the controller is if you have an armrest, whose arm's on it. You can, you can always tell. So I want to talk about the things when you can't control them because there's so much you just cannot control because stuff happens to everybody. There's something inside every one of us that wants to make sure we can trust whoever or whatever is in charge of what's going on in our life, correct? I was on a flight one time and the pilot came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm retiring. This is my last flight. And everybody on the flight cheered. But as a commercial pilot, it struck me. I've never heard a pilot come on and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is my first flight. Y'all pray for me. And had anybody cheer. Not going to happen. Because we want to know we can trust the guy, the person, the gal who's running the show. Now, that's not just true for an airplane. When it comes to your doctor, your kid's teacher, or your appliances, you want to know, is there somebody in charge? If there is, I can have some freedom and confidence. If not, then I'm going to be a bit stressed out. Ultimately, where this leads is God. I want to know, is there somebody who's flying this planet? Does he know what he's doing, or am I at risk? Am I at the mercy of my circumstances? Now, here's the truth about all of us. I will either live at the mercy of God or the mercy of my circumstances. That's it. And so I'm going to talk about the illusion you're in control. Uh, that's the way it goes in our life because for all of us, stuff happens. I don't care if you're a believer or not. Now, I'm going to tell you a part of why this series is important because one of the primary illusions of our culture is I'm in control. I'm in charge of my fate. I'm self-sufficient. I'm the master of my own destiny. Now, we're tempted a lot of times to live on the basis of our personal strength or our educational knowledge or networks as though what it taught me is true, that I'm capable, I'm all-sufficient, I've got it wired. And then something happens. A blood vessel bursts. A cell reproduces in a body. Somebody's driving a car and somebody misses a stop sign. And in one instant, it becomes incredibly clear, what a fool I was. I'm not in control. Stuff happens. In fact, this isn't just true about big crises. You know, in our lives, all kinds of things happen to us. Birth happens. You didn't vote for that. You didn't even get to say, I'd like to be or not. You didn't even get to choose your parents, where you were born, nothing about your body. You didn't get to choose. It, you know, Puberty, that happens to us. Who in the heck votes for that? Who would ever vote for that? Trouble happens. Suffering happens. Rainstorms happen. Growth happens. He healing happens. Death happens. So what we're going to do in this series is learn to look at how God is involved in all this stuff that occurs in my life and yours. Stuff happens. But God is involved in it all. And if I can learn to live in that reality, I can learn to see what's happening in my life and where God is involved in the stuff that's going on in my life so that I can live with some ease and confidence 
that's going to be, it's going to be all right. I don't have to live at the mercy of my circumstances because I serve a God who is above my circumstances. Now, that truth has never been expressed more powerfully than by a guy named Paul the Apostle, old St. Paul. And this is what he says in Philippians. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So we're going to live with that statement for two more weeks. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So let's start first with this little phrase, in all things. Sometimes it's tempting for people to think, well, if I become a Christian, certain things won't happen to me. You know, when Paul says in all things, it can be translated all stuff, all circumstances. And the idea is that all things happen to people who believe in God the same as they happen to people who don't believe in God. If you want to think about it like this, it goes, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Just to make sure we're clear, let me give you some possibilities, and you tell me good or bad stuff. A promotion, good stuff. Sickness, bad stuff. Blind date, well, that could go either way. (laughs) Going on a game show and winning a vacation, good stuff. See, all of us have good stuff and bad stuff that happens to us, everybody in this room. And there's a problem. Because people will often think, if I become a Christian, what that means is more good stuff than bad stuff is supposed to happen in my life because it's God's job to send me good stuff because I believe in him. (laughs) Hang on. Or they will think if I'm a Christian and you're not, more good stuff should come my way that should come your way. And if more good stuff is coming your way than my way, then I'm going to get all bent out of shape as though I could earn it, you know. Folks will think, if I want this particular good stuff to come into my life, then I'll be really faithful and pray and be really good to God, and I ought to have a better shot at having more good stuff come into my life. So this is so important. All things happen to all people. Traffic jams on 281-1604. I don't care if you glow in the dark, you're spirit-filled, and you speak in tongues. You're stuck, and there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe problems at work cranky neighbor, catching a cold, having the dog get sick, having the appliance go out. That happens to people that love God, and it happens to people that don't know God from a hole in the ground. If a church gets really glib about that, if somebody comes into church and hears some kind of happy talk about how if you love God, you're just going to have nothing but good stuff happen to you all the time, it will kill your heart because that's not true. Our job is not to give a glib explanation for things we don't understand. When folks suffer deeply, our job is to love and to mourn and to come alongside and to be family, to encourage people. I don't have the answer to everything. The reality is all of us experience all kinds of circumstances, and those will tell us something about ourselves. You know, this is a quote from a theologian named Henry Nguyen. At issue is the question. To whom do I belong? To God or to the world? He says, many of my daily preoccupations suggest I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits. And a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or cast me down. Often I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of the waves. 
all the time and energy I spend in keeping uh, a kind of a balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows my life is mostly a struggle for survival, but not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea, it is the world that defines me. Now, that's just not true at all. All things happen to all people, and I don't have to live at the mercy of my circumstances. It's interesting, I was thinking about a couple of families over the years that I've known that have had a Down syndrome child. On one occasion, the person became a Christian, and their question was, God, why would you do this to me? As though God did it. Then another person I know, her prayer to God was, God, thank you so much that you brought me to faith so I don't go through this journey all by myself. Then I know of another father who was commenting about being the parent of a Down syndrome child, and he said, our family has learned more about love from this child than we ever knew. We've been brought closer together because we have this guy who's part of our family. And not just that, he's the most relentlessly cheerful guy in our family. I actually think it should be called up syndrome, not down syndrome. That's what he, that's what he said. See, the statement that Paul makes is not that more good stuff than bad stuff's going to happen. It's that all circumstances, it's all circumstances. So he adds, in all things, all stuff, God works. He doesn't say that all things work out. As a matter of fact, in the same passage, Paul makes a statement about the nature of things. He says everything is in bondage to decay. If you don't believe that, go look at your high school annual. Look at yourself and look at the people around you. Everything, you know, I'm sorry, I just think my mind was working ahead of what I'm thinking. But Paul says everything in this world is in bondage to decay. People will say things like, well, everything will work out. Everything will be okay. But in every case, it's not okay. Paul actually said it's the world we live in because of the fall, because of sin. Everything's in bondage to decay. Would you agree? Things fall apart. Go look in the mirror. Things fall apart. <laughs> that's, that's why there are mechanics and plumbers and girls, plastic surgeons. Why does a car depreciate a few thousand dollars the minute you drive it off the lot? Things fall apart. You know, why do you get a warranty for an appliance and it's time limited? And the appliance always goes out the day after the warranty expires. Things decay. They fall apart. Why do people go on dating apps for dating services and post a picture of themselves from 12 years ago? I've seen some of you do that. Things fall apart. See, the promise is not things work out. The promise is not things work together for good. Things don't. Things are in bondage to decay. Here's the promise, that in all things, good or bad, God's working. He's working in your stuff, in your circumstances, in the good stuff and in the bad stuff. God works. What God? This God. I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's what we're going to do, to be challenged to do in this series, to constantly keep in mind in front of us how big this God is. And he's infinitely more bigger than my circumstances. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Who can top that? I want to go through some of what Bible writers have to say about this big God. Here's the prophet Isaiah. He has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand, he's marked off the heavens. 
Now, that'll set your hair on fire if you think about this. In the observable universe, when we look at galaxies, a single galaxy contained 100 trillion stars. And in our observable universe, there are thought to be about 200 billion galaxies. And a single one can have as many as 100 trillion stars. I can't comprehend that. God makes all of that. And he says, oh yeah, it'll fit right there. Right in the hollow of my hand. So a lot of people, when they picture this God, picture a giant universe with a small God. No, no, it's this giant God with a universe that fits inside the hollow of his hand. He says, lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all that stuff? He who brings out the stars one by one, calls each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them ever goes missing. Sometimes I misplace my car keys. I can't find them. Anybody do that? Or your, your, your cell phone? Yeah. I was just thinking about this picture of stars. A hundred trillion in one galaxy. Two hundred billion galaxies. And God's never scratched his head and says, where's Alpha Centauri? He doesn't lose anything. He says the hair on your head. Every hair is numbered. Not a bird falls out of the sky that he is not aware of. God knows them all because of his great power. So he's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. All of this world God makes. The people of Israel would say over and over, it is the God who made the heaven and the earth that watches over you and over all things. And that leads to a real important question. Do you believe God is working when you're not working? A real good question is when you go to bed at night and you're not working, do you believe God is working? If you do, it takes a tremendous load off of you. See, I'm not in control of the weather or traffic or the circumstances of my life. And it's a good thing. In all things, it's this great God who works. Then Paul says, in all things, God works for the good. Now, that's really important. God is at work for the good. Now, I have to tell you, this is a verse that's taken out of context and misunderstood probably more than any. People will think what that means is, I want some good circumstances. So in any circumstance I'm in, God's at work for the good. So if I don't get good circumstances I want, it must mean God will give me a better circumstance. If I don't get this great paying job, it must mean God's going to give me a higher paying job. If I don't get this terrific promotion, it must mean God's going to give me a better promotion. If I don't get to marry this hot girl, it must mean God's going to give me an even hotter girl. What version of the Bible did you read that in? Here's a real important distinction when you think about God working in all things for the good. Stuff happens. Good stuff can happen to me or good stuff can happen in me. See, when we love somebody, we're generally more concerned about good things happening in them because we love them and we want them to be great people more than just good stuff happening to them. Your children, like mine, want good stuff to happen to them, right? But if a parent loves a child, occasionally you're willing to make some bad stuff happen called discipline, restriction, or for you millennials, something I never heard of, time out. No, my military dad would put my head through sheetrock. That was time out for me. 
I'd be unconscious. Time out. Oh, that sounds so threatening. Fear grasps me. Time out. Gag me. Some of these old military fathers in here could fix a few of these wild childs real fast. Yeah, you could live with you for about six weeks. Anyway, I'm trying to show you there's the possibility of good stuff happening to you or good stuff happening in you. Now, we all want the good stuff to happen to us. Good stuff to me, that's my circumstances. Promotions, a pay raise, a hot date, a great house, lots of money, a cool car. Good stuff in me, that's the character of Jesus. That's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, temperance. Ugh, that isn't so much fun, is it? The promise Paul is making here is not that good stuff is always going to happen to me. It is something way more glorious than that. It's that good stuff is going to happen in me, no matter what. Here's how that verse goes on, if I read the whole verse. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And what's his purpose? For those God foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed into the image of his son. You know, God's plan is to have you look a little bit like him. Act a little bit like him. Have an attitude or a mind kind of like him. Now, I was born in this nation, and I was born to a southern family, and I, so I was at the mercy of God's pick. I didn't get to pick anything. So I picked up different traits, customs. I picked up culture, values, mindsets, prejudices from the culture I was born into, Correct. Yeah. Well, how many of you know a whole lot of that was totally contradictory to Jesus? Jesus wasn't a racist. Jesus wasn't bigoted. Jesus wasn't uh, uh, masochistic. He, he, he wasn't a uh, macho guy. He d- demeaned women in any way. Uh, he, he was good to everybody. And I'm thinking, <clears throat> that good working in me is a lot more like a surgeon with a scaffold then good stuff happening to me. Oh, I got blessed. Yeah, well, some of my biggest blessings you never got to see because after God gutted me uh, to put a little more of Jesus in me, it, it resulted in being a better me. And, and that's a lot more important than getting a new Mercedes or getting a new home in a gated community in some fancy zip code. God's not against you having that. But I'm saying if nothing good happens in you, what good are you? You're just a spoiled, arrogant, self-seeking brat. That's a, sorry, sorry, but that's kind of what it is. So God wants me to have the character of Jesus through eternity, and that's a whole lot better. So we're often likely to think of all the good circumstances we want God to give us. But God has something a lot better than that, and we don't always want it, but it's better. God's promise is not to give you good stuff. God's promise is to use all the stuff, good or bad, that happens to produce good stuff in you so that the character of Jesus that you have now, you will carry through eternity. In all things, God works for the good, for who? For those who love him. This is hard to believe for most people, but God actually wants people who love him. Paul wrote those words, and he would have said, every day as a devout Hebrew, an Israelite, the Shema. And this is from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, why did Israel love that verse so much? When Paul woke up, he would say those words, love the Lord your God. When he went to bed at night, he would say those words, love the Lord your God. Why would he say those? Why did he want people to love him so much? The God of Israel is a God who wants to be loved. Now, that's striking because in the ancient world, nobody said, I love Baal. I love Molech. Everybody was terrified of those fake gods. They wanted them to be afraid. Not Molech or Baal never says, love me, love me, come to me. No, it was always, be afraid of me. I'm going to get you. And here's this God who says, I want you to love me. So a lot of people, when they think of God, think of this giant character who says, obey me, obey me, serve me, do what I say, do what I say. And so part of what Israel gave to the world, one of the most amazing truths about God that changed everything is that God is lovable. Molech ain't lovable. Some of those ancient gods you look on a telephone pole, that'll scare a kid to death. They're ugly. They're fierce. They're terrible. But our God is a good God, and he's a lovable God. He wants to love, and he wants to be loved. Quite amazing. That's part of what needs to be fixed in all of our minds because half the Christian church wants God to get everybody. It's true, isn't it? You know, a couple of the apostles, you know, wanted to burn a city down because they, they weren't behaving and they didn't want Jesus to come there. And they said, Lord, shall we call fire down on them? I wonder what church they went to. And Jesus said, no, no, I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. That's the wrong spirit. So if that's in you, that's been put in you wrongly by man, but not by God. So we have to live in this world where all this stuff happens to all of us. That includes me too. This is from the book, The Divine Conspiracy, and I really love this. It writes, quote, the acid test for any theology is this. Is the God presented one that can be loved? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if the thoughtful, honest answer is not really, we need to look elsewhere or deeper. It does not really matter, he says, how sophisticated intellectually or doctrinally our approach is. If it fails to set a lovable God, a radiant, happy, friendly, accessible, and totally competent being before ordinary people, we've gone wrong. We've missed it. We should not keep going the same direction, but turn around and take another road. Now, in case you've missed it throughout the year, I'll probably say it a lot. God is not mad at anybody. God has an anger and wrath. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, the Bible says God the Father laid the iniquity of us all on him and judged us in him. And it says that he satisfied his wrath. So the God we serve in this age and dispensation is not an angry God trying to get you, get you, get you. He's loving you. He says, you remember the game we played as kids, Ollie Ollie in free tag? I think a father, I know it's pretty simplistic, but would be saying to the whole world, hey gang, Ollie Ollie in free. The price has already been paid. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to hurt you. I love you. I've already judged you in Jesus. I, I, I whipped him. I'm making this up. I whipped him good. 
what you deserve, I gave it to him. Now, I'm satisfied. Come on. You don't have to be afraid of anything. And that was really good news. That's still good news. But you don't know my past. You don't know what business I'm in. The price has already been paid. Come. Come to me. And don't be afraid. So in all things, God is at work for good for those who love him. Every moment, whatever's going on in your life or mine, that'll raise the question. What's God doing for people who don't love him? I'm glad you asked. Jesus talked about it. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Hmm. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain, lots of rain, on the righteous and the unrighteous. Pagans today got lots of rain. Spirit-filled believers today got wet and got lots of rain. How about it, right? See, God is at work for the good of those who love him, and he's at work for the good of those who don't love him. He's such a lovable God. It's just that those who don't love him kind of make his work a little harder. They're kind of the remedial group, (laughs) but that's our God. And you need to think about God this way. He is looking at the good for every single one of you. What does he say? He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a hope and a future, to do you good and not evil. You really need to hear God say that to you. I really got your best interest in mind. I'm not trying to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I want to do good to you, not evil to you. And that will help you navigate through some really tough times. See, uh, in eternity one day we'll see this is true. One more phrase. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I think we think, well, uh, I think so. I guess so. I hypothesize so. I suspect so. No, no, no. He says, we know. This is knowable. How do we do that? How do we become people who know it and don't just suspect it or just hope it's true? Well, Jesus made this statement. Anyone who wants to do the will of the Father will know whether my teaching is from God or merely on my own. See, knowing that God is at work in all things for good is mostly not a matter of IQ. It's not a matter of information. Jesus says there's a connection between doing and knowing. And the way to come to know is to do. See, obedience validates knowing. When I obey, when I trust, then I come to see, whoa, that's really true. If I refuse to obey, I'll never know it's true. So here's the deal. When I obey God, I find out that the Word of God, the will of God, is really for my own good and leads to the best life. Now, because I have been following those principles since I was nearly 40, I know and would say it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. But I wouldn't know it if I hadn't obeyed it. How can I know it's more blessed to give than to receive if I'm stingy? I'll never know. That's not just a line in a book. The way you come to know is by doing. So God can tell you about all the things he will do, what you sow, you reap. You don't believe that until you do it. And when you do it, you understand the joy that comes from being generous or something because it's just a quote you heard in church, but you don't really know it until, until you do it. And the way you come to know in the deepest sense is not just affirming that statement. I just come to know it with my whole heart because I've obeyed it. 
And that's why God says to obey is better than any sacrifice you make. Just do what I said. Here's an old song. Thankfully, I won't sing it. And hardly most of you won't even have heard it. But when I grew up, here are the lyrics. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. See, we all want to be happy. We all want good stuff to happen to us. True joy, true happiness comes when good stuff is happening in us, and we can know that in all things, God works for the good of those who trust him, who love him, if we trust and obey. He's with us when trouble happens. He's with us when growth happens. He's with us when grace happens. Take a look this week at all the stuff that happens to you. When you wake up in the morning, it doesn't have to be big stuff. When you go to work, when there's traffic jam on 281, there will be. When there's frustration, there will be. When you get criticized, when you're tempted to lie, when you feel discouraged, ask, how is God at work in this thing? He will be because stuff happens to everybody, but God happens, and God's bigger than all that stuff. So believe me, God can either bring good stuff to you or in you. So no matter how terrible it may seem to me at the time, unexpected stuff happens over which I have no control, I have to believe, okay, that's not good stuff coming to me. So God must be at work for something good in me. Have you ever had, have you, look, if you've been a Christian a long time, can you look back, whether you were in business or military or even in the ministry, at problems and things early in marriage that used to just stress you out and like a mom on her third kid now it don't even bother you it's just water off a duck's back oh you worried about that first kid you wouldn't let anybody breathe on them you kept them isolated you put RIFD protection around them from electronic whatever I mean it was like crazy by the third time you throw the kid in the bed and you just make sure they're in the house when you lock up and you don't worry about anything because you've been to this rodeo a long time and you're not stressed out well I feel that way as we grow see as we grow stuff doesn't bother me it takes a whole lot to bother me that's how God enlarges us he's working some good stuff in me so I could tell somebody who's coming through a patch of bad stuff that I already went through a long time ago and dealt with, I can put my hand on her shoulder and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Already been there, done it, been there. Nothing to worry about, right? If you were just going to have a baby, your first baby, you want to talk to some celebrity model with a two-inch waist? <laughs> or do you want mama to pull up her shirt and say, look here, look like an 18-wheeler rolled over me, sweetheart. I got three kids. I got four kids. Let me tell you. What do what? I have this picture in my mind. I don't know about you, but if I was going to have a baby, that's the woman I'm going to talk to. And I'm not going to talk to Miss Cutie Pants over here that didn't have a stretch mark. I'm going to talk to somebody that's already been to the rodeo. Right? So God's going to take you to a rodeo, and good stuff's going to happen back. It's got nothing to do with God doesn't love you or you're obeying more than this person, so more good stuff is going to happen. I know some of the most obedient Christians in the world that make anybody look look pitiful and they've had terrible stuff happen to them 
but great stuff in them. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't you be dismayed. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. Don't you think God has abandoned you because he never promised that you would live a life free from any sort of a problem or trial or trouble. It happens to everybody. And all I know is that no matter what news I get, God says, I'm at work for the good of those who love me. So somehow, in me or to me, it's coming. I'm going to win either way. And so will you. Would you bow your head with me this morning? You've been such a great, attentive audience. I really want you to be encouraged because some of you are going through a real trial. Some of you have had some real bad stuff happen to you. It could be a health diagnosis, could be financial, could be in your job or career. Just remember, if you belong to Jesus, this is not for the pagan, this is for the believer. God says he will work good in this, in you, because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. So it hurts, it doesn't feel good, but God is working in it right now. He's working in me and he's working in you. So let him do his good work. Whether it's to me or in me, I win either way. So I'm going to rejoice in that hope that he's got it all under control. It's going to be all right. But don't get into guilt, shame, and condemnation. And don't let others make you work harder to do more works as though that somehow will make you immune from a flat tire or any other problem. It can happen to anybody. The economy can go bad. There can be layoffs in a company, and you didn't do anything wrong. God's still going to work good in you, and you're going to come out bigger. David said, I was enlarged in distress, not success. You grow in trouble. You grow because you learn God really is good. He really is. He has you back. He's going to bring you through this thing, and you get bigger. If you live safe and sweet and successful, you just get arrogant and sloppy. But you get bigger. you got to push a little more weight. You're going to come out stronger on the other end of this and be a blessing to other people. Don't let the, God waste your sorrow. God wants to help you through this, and when you're we're through it, you're going to be a blessing to somebody else for God's sake. So just know He's at work, and He will not forsake you. He promised. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.